You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. We've all been there. The animal is down, the hunt is over, however the work now begins. For meativore and huntivores alike who take it upon themselves to process their carcass, they require dedication, a strong back, and attention to detail. The folks over at Made With Meat have the same dedication when it comes to producing equipment that is commercial grade, yet accessible to the home butcher. If you need to prepare, process, or preserve your game, they got it. I picked up their chamber vacuum sealer one year ago, and it has been an incredible investment. The ease of pre-made pouches, good suction from the chamber and not having to suck the air from the bag itself, the high-quality seal that won't break. I've used it on Butchered Wild Game, fish fillets, divided up goodies from the smoker, and was able to portion out large batch items. I made a 10-pound batch of barbacoa and froze the rest in one-pound bags. Now anytime the kids want Venny nachos, we just grab a bag and it's ready to go. Bade With Meat has a whole lineup of equipment covered by a limited lifetime warranty. Head over to madewithmeat.com or find the link in the show notes. Use the coupon code HUNTIVORE10 all lowercase, at checkout to take 10% off your order. Hey, get ready to step up your meat game. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast. Powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, 
beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 87, Jonah Curtis, Stews, Stock, and Squirrels. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick is joined by homesteading guru Jonah Curtis. The two chat about the close of the whitetail season here in Michigan and how Jonah is in mid-season form when it comes to chasing small game. They play good, better, best when it comes to making a stew and what goes into a quality wild game stock. All this on the next episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. It's actually real, real cold, which is which is nice. I mean, we're getting down the ground, I think, is maybe going to freeze and then it's going to turn around and get up into the 40s. So it is what it is. It's going to be cold and then we're going to have mud and it's all going to freeze again. So Merry Christmas, I guess. I think uh, by the time this episode launches is it's going to be the week of Christmas. So hunters are probably going to be spending a lot of time inside, maybe these little short jaunts, uh, but uh, definitely getting back to hang out with with family. And so tonight, yeah, we're in here. We're talking about little jaunts that you can do. We want to touch on small game. We're going to touch on stuff you can do in the kitchen, whether it's making stock or it's it's building a stew from the stock that you're making. And I thought nothing better than to have uh, Michigan's own Jonah Curtis joining us. His handle is at Mighty Musquatch. Jonah, thanks so much for joining us this evening. Hey, thanks for having me. You know I love talking small game anytime, and food in general, but yeah, (laughs) happy to be here. Good deal. Yeah, I was, you know, I mean, I love, I, I chase deer just like Every hunter that's out there, it is with without a doubt, it is number one here in Michigan chasing whitetails. But in the past couple of years, I have really found an excitement for small game, and I think right around right around the end of whitetail, I'm sick of sitting in a stand or hanging in a saddle or sitting in a blind. I just want to roam around. I just want to walk around, and small game provides that perfect outlet to just be walking around and trying to find something f- small and furry to, to put a 22 bullet in. Definitely. Um, I, I actually think I spend more time small game hunting, more days in the field small game hunting than I do big game hunting. Um, in Michigan, you know, we get from September 15th to the end of March, and I basically spend January, February, March heavily, and then even quite a lot of December, if I filled more than more than a tag or two, uh, a deer tag or two, and my buddies give me a, a little bit of the business because um, they claim that I could probably kill a lot more big bucks with my bow if I didn't shoot so many damn squirrels when I was walking in with it. But it's it's tough. I see them. I have I, in my quiver on my compound. So if I take my recurve, my longbow, it's like mostly squirrel arrows. But if I have my compound. I have uh, five arrows on there, three of which are squirrel arrows. And so usually I get multiple squirrels before archery season is done. Just as I'm walking through and they're, they're arrogant. Squirrels are arrogant in the beginning of October. They're just, they'll, they'll stare, stare you down. You know, by the end of, by the end of uh, February, you've got to take 120 yard shots with a rimfire to get one, but they're, they're strutting their stuff in early October. 
I think they know what's going on. They're like, this guy wants to be quiet. This guy's got bigger fish to fry. He's got bigger, he's chasing deer. He's not chasing me. So I am just going to flick my tail, stare him down, chuckle him up a bit. And, uh, you know, there's nothing he can do about it. So, yeah, I'm sure there's a, a, a steep learning curve over there near your neck of the woods when they learn, oh, no, he'll take a shot whenever yeah, he can get it. <laughs> Yeah, many squirrels thought that as I'm ranging with my rangefinder, walking into the woods. What's he doing with that little thing? <laughs> you got to range a squirrel. Very important when you're when you shoot him with a bow. So yeah, you put together. You got a couple arrows on your compound that you even fling at them. How, what's the lifespan of one of your squirrel arrows? Are you you know are you missing them just by a little bit and then smacking off a rock, or is it pretty much these things are you can you can get multiple squirrels? with your is it, oh, you got the... yeah i i shoot it's like a, a polymer um I, I can't remember what it's it's similar to a judo point but it's a polymer i can't remember the brand um but it's it just basically a blunt tip but it, it flies pretty pretty straight and pretty far and i'll shoot at squirrels at 50 60 yards i'm either going to dispatch them quickly or miss you know um, I'm not going to injure one. So I, I've taken many a long shot on a squirrel this year. I hadn't lost a squirrel arrow in a couple of years. And then this year I lost two arrows on the same day, one at a Turkey. <laughs> and then, um, well, I, I hit the Turkey. Uh, it's certainly dead, but it flew away with my arrow in it. Never to be seen again, which oh, makes no. me terribly. Yeah. Yeah. I, Anyway, yeah, very frustrating. Um, and then right after that, I got down and there was a squirrel. I'm like, well, I'm getting something today. And there, he was on a low limb. I shot as I'm kind of walking. I, I ranged him. He was like 28 yards. And I fired. And I hit the limb right in front of him. And that arrow probably is still flying. It ricocheted off the branch in front of him. And for all I know, I can look at my telescope and see it on the moon. It was, I didn't even really look because it went ever. And I'm like, well, that's it. I'm I'm going home and taking a nap. This is it for my day. <laughs> but yeah, I, I generally do pretty well, and I don't go cheap on squirrel arrows. They are the same arrow that I use, you know, for any other, you know, any big game, just with a different tip on them. So when I was a when I was a young lad, they were the, you know, at the at the archery store, they were the ones that were odd lengths and odd diameters. But now I, they're full bore. They're whatever. If I lose $20 on a single squirrel, that's so be it. Good work. Hey, I love the commitment. That's it. You know, you're going to have the lethal weapon there, but at the same time, yep, it's going to come, it's going to come with a stiff price. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, Hey, let's break into, uh, what you're up to. I mean, you're, you see, you were already talking about, you know, here you were in the mid of your, small game we're just going to be starting here as normal peons here but uh what are some of the projects that you got going on right now i know i saw something where you got a you got yourself a bumper crop of garlic that is going to be in the in the ground here what what's going on with your garlic patch well so i had a, a really good crop this this summer that i harvested and a bunch of different varietals and so i I put, I saved a few of those to plant, and then in 
late August, mid August, I ordered quite a lot more of garlic to plant of, of different varieties and some of the kind of standard like the California white. And subsequently completely forgot that I ordered that and then ordered the same order from a different company about two weeks later. <laughs> and with garlic, it all comes, they, the company ship it when it's time to plant. So it all came like the same day when it was time to plant in Michigan, um, you know, early first week of October or so, and second week somewhere in there. And it, it was kind of a stunning amount of garlic. So I will have in the neighborhood of, I don't even know, probably five to 700 um, bulbs of garlic I will be harvesting next summer. Oh um, my I gave, goodness. I know, I know, man. I gave quite a lot away um, once I realized my error. Uh, but I still said, you know what? I'm just going to plant the darn stuff and I'll figure out the problem or the solution to the problem with, when it's time. I'm, uh, I, and I have for years grown, you know, my gardens are pretty extensive and really I've grown too many high maintenance crops lots of peppers eggplants and tomatoes and so i can tomatoes like crazy I, I still have some 2019 tomatoes left and i canned a more than ever in 2020 and 2021 so this is also a way of uh keeping myself from going overboard uh with with stuff like that next year and i'm also going to try some um high ground rice and some other crops like that that will kind of give me something to do i won't lose gardening space but i won't be planting something that will make me can hundreds and hundreds of quarts in you know late next summer yeah this is going to be something you could put down in your uh your cold storage or your uh your root cellar being the garlic what kind of process would do you do to prepare say a, a head of garlic for being stored so after it's been harvested um late july usually early august somewhere in there kind of depends on the weather um, I hang it and kind of let it air dry. And basically that's it from there. You can either, you can braid it, um, you know, or, or right when you harvest it, you can braid it, but I, I pretty much just let it hang with the stalks on. And then once it's, you know, cured is what, what it's really called. Uh, you'll, you'll cut the bulbs just a little, or just a little up from the bulbs and, um, then you can, I just store it in my pantry in like, um, net bags to kind of let the airflow through. So you don't get any, you know, mildew or moisture issues. Um, but so it has different shelf life. I mean, some of it can go nine months plus some of it three or four months. So I kind of sort it out at that point. And if any, um, is starting to get a little bit soft, I will take all of that and I'll, um, chop it either by hand or in like a, you know, a chopper. And I can, uh, there are a number of ways, but one thing I'll do is I'll store it in oil in the fridge. I'll chop and it lasts for quite a while in there. I'll have a little, I have a little glass weight. Like I'll put it in a wide mouth Mason jar and I have a little glass weight that goes on top. So the oil stays above the surface of the garlic and you know, you'd be able to tell if it were to go rancid or anything, but it lasts for quite a while. And we use a lot of garlic. So then you can just scoop out spoonfuls of that into whatever you're cooking. Um, or I'll freeze it in, in like Ziploc bags 
in, but I'll just do one layer chop really, really flat, you know, all chop and really, really flat, like press flat in there. Yeah. And then whatever I want, I can just kind of break off a chip. Like you break off a, a chunk of candy, you know, like hard candy. Oh, nice. That one works really well. It gets, you can't, it won't last forever that way. Cause it can get freezer burn. Um, cause there's a lot of air in there because you're smushing it so flat, but it, it really does work pretty nicely. And it's so much faster. Uh, you know, now with, uh, we've, we've got a little one and the time I used to spend, you know, a nice relaxing two hour cook for, for dinner, you know, now I'm holding, holding a baby for part of it. So it's a <laughs> nice to have some of those little time savers that instead of chopping garlic, I can just grab some out of the, out of the freezer or the fridge and throw it in. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you don't like the more complex uh, technique is what you want to go for because it's going to capture more of the flavor. But there's just, yeah, now as a parent, it's like, oh, man, you just got to go with what's easy. And yeah. sometimes what easy is going to be good enough. Yeah, yeah. Just set yourself up to not have a forest fire, basically, and make sure everybody's happy. Exactly, exactly. If baby's happy, that means mama's happy. And ultimately yeah. it comes down to mama. If, if mama's happy, then we get to do what we want to do. Yeah, save save the uh, fancy meals for the weekends. Um, I know Christmas is already it's Christmas is coming. It's not here yet, yeah. but you got to open up something early this year, and you were showing it off. You got yourself a beautiful looking air rifle setup. I was uh, I was quite jealous when I was watching one of your. Uh, stories on Instagram of you showing off, hey, I want to just test the sound to make sure that, you know, you can have the little one in the backpack and still make pop shots without, you know, having his ears get hurt. Yeah. And the only thing you're hearing is the the mechanism, the trigger mechanism go off on the gun. That is a it cool amazing, new toy. I, I was, so I, I, I've been wanting, well, really ever since, um, I mean, I think my nephew is hunting a little bit here and there and I have some, uh, some other kids in my life, but, um, they're all, they've been older so they can wear ear protection, you know? And with my son, he's too, he's too young. He's just over a year. So I can't be like, put on your earplugs, son. You know, he doesn't know what the heck I'm talking about. And I have him in a backpack a lot when we're out. So I couldn't count on being able to put any ear protection on him and be sure it was on if I were going to take him small game hunting with a rim fire and I, and I don't want him to get, you know, afraid of, you know, that report, if you don't understand it is, is loud. So, and, and I've been an air gun hunter. I've got some, uh, a spring air gun, uh, sing, you know, single shot break action air gun that that's effective. I use it for kind of pest control in the yard and I have a CO2 air pistol that I do hunt, um, rabbits and squirrels with a little bit, but I needed something a little bit more, a little bit more effective and at, at longer ranges. So we'd go out and not get, not get skunk. So I've been looking and I follow some, you know, air gun guys on podcast and YouTube. And so I kind of reached out and said, okay, what's, what's the way to go here. And they said, there's this new gun coming out. It's really quiet and it's pretty cheap for what you get. Uh, and they think it's just going to be the, the bee's knees. So I watched some videos on it. And I, I've actually been looking at it since it came out, like well, well over a year ago, or about a year ago, I guess now. And I'm, I'm pretty slow to purchase things. I'm kind of thrifty, so I was pretty slow to purchase this gun. 
But, you know, my wife, wanted, she loves that I take our son out, but she wanted to make sure that he was protected. And obviously, as, as I, I did, to make sure the sound wasn't an issue. And so basically, bottom line is I, I got a pre-charged pneumatic, um, the uh, PCP, short, short for that, uh, air gun. So it's got a, a tank built in that you pressurize with either a compressor or a hand pump. And then it's just the way that the gun works. It's just really quiet. And it's, it's amazing how quiet it is. Cause there's no, uh, the, the projectile moves pretty quickly, but there, there's just no bang. And I mean, I, it's an air gun, obviously there's going to be no bang, but it still is, is oddly quiet. Um, it, it just, it kind of surprised me, but I've been really happy. In fact, so I took my son out this weekend with it for the first time and I shot two squirrels and I missed one. And the one I missed, he was asleep and did not wake up. So it's plenty quiet. <laughs> he was asleep in my, on my back and didn't wake up when that, you know, when I fired and missed that squirrel, other than I said, dang it, or something like that. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. What's the squirrel's reaction to that? Like, they're not, are they alerted? I mean, obviously, sometimes they're, uh, at that point, they're alerted because of your presence. But at the same time, were, you know, the one where you missed, was that squirrel just like, boom, he was gone? Or was there that moment of he had to figure out what was going on at that moment? Well, I, I haven't been able to really test that one yet because the, the two, it was kind of breezy out. Um, but the two squirrels I hit had, had no reaction. And there weren't any other ones around when I shot them. And then the one I missed, I hit the branch right in front of his nose. So he, he made a reaction. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it was to the sound. I think it was, you know, to uh, bark flying right in front of his, in, in front of his face. So, but I, I, you know, in my experience with squirrel hunting, I think they would, you know, they would hear it, but I, I really don't think they would react to it. It's, it's much, I mean, it's quieter than a, it's sounds like stepping on a stick, maybe even quieter. Um, I mean, stepping on a stick sure sounds loud when you're hunting, but uh, so it's hard for me to compare, but I would say it's right in that neighborhood. I think they would look, but I don't think they would flip out. Gotcha. Gotcha. So definitely a tool that you're going to put into use here, chasing, chasing small game. Um, yeah, no, I'm getting excited for going out there. I'm still just taking my 22. Uh, it's just my, it's my, um, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting what it is. Oh, it's a, a Marlin, Marlin Model 60. Marlin That's 60? what I get. Yep. Ah, love that gun. I, I love tell you, that. It's, it does everything I've ever wanted it to do. It holds enough ammunition. Yeah, it doesn't yep. have the ease of, uh, you know, a mag or a clip or magazine that I can put in the bottom, but I—I I mean, the tube feed—it works. I, I fill that up, and yeah. that's good for a whole half a day at that point. Yeah. yeah so I—I I don't hunt with my. I have a Marlin Model sixty. I, if I hunt with a twenty-two, that's the one I hunt with, and I feel like a surgeon with that darn gun. It just—it just wants to—it wants to go downrange. As a kid, I used to rabbit hunt. Um, mostly with that before I got a shotgun. Um, and I still, I still take it out every now and again. I, I do most of my small game hunting now with a uh, 17 HMR or a 17 uh, WSM. But I still, I still love to take a Marlin Mile 60 for a walk every now and again. Yeah. And I got, I mean, I got T-Rex arms. They're, they're strong, but they're compact. And just having that stock just be, 
short enough that yeah, I mean, I can hold it without with super ease to it. It does feel toy-ish. It's definitely not a toy, but oh man, just the comfort of being able to hold that. And even as a kids, as my kids get older, that's going to be the perfect trainer. Um, that you know, I I put two or three into the tube, and it's like this is training. And while it's not a bolt action, which would be the easiest trainer, you know, I, I pop in uh, even just one bullet at a time and they work on pulling yep. that back, loading it up into uh, into position and being able to take shots. It doesn't have a lot of kick. It does have a good snap to it. I mean, it is a 22, but yeah. even if you forgot the ear protection or you just had the little foamies, uh, it works out great. It it doesn't startle you. It's got great trigger action. Yeah, I really enjoy that little gun. Yeah, I think it's underrated. Everyone talks about the Ruger 1022, and I had one as a kid also. But I, the Marlin Mile 60, is is my favorite. I, I've, I've always just felt it. Just you know, you pull up to your shoulder and you're like, I'm about to take a rabbit right now or a squirrel or whatever. You know, it just feels right. It's it's like GI Joe versus the cowboy. Like the GI Joe has all the toys, has all the bells and whistles, and come you know can customize to the mission. Where the cowboy is just tried and true, and it's got one mode, and it's just gonna fit everything. And I like I think that's if we were to compare those two, you have uh, the Ruger, the Ruger versus the the Marlin. It's like that's the idea. It's the GI Joe versus the cowboy. Oh yeah, you can't. There aren't any uh, modifications or accessories to come with the Marlin. It's just here you go. Here is your right. (laughs) Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook the Huntivore, or Instagram at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. Well, this has been fun, Jonah. Um, I'm going to switch gears here, and we're going to first start with uh, a game. And I I did this game last episode, and it was fun. And I want to continue it with you because as as we're getting we're ready here into Christmas, and right after Christmas too, like it's it's going to be some of the coldest and some of the shortest days of the year. And nothing warms you better than a good stew, whether it be a venison stew, heck, whether it be beef or chicken, or even somebody who's really familiar with rabbit. I know you got a rabbit stew somewhere in that large cookbook of yours, but a stew is going to be something that this is the time of year that we want to start making those. And we want to have those uh, in the kitchen, on the stove, ready uh, for our loved ones to eat. 
So the way it works is basically I'm just going to lay out a good stew. And then I'm going to give you the challenge. Without adding a whole lot, I want to see if you can't make that stew better. Are you ready for that challenge? Oh, boy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right. So here's the here's the good. The good stew. It is. You cook the meat. You add the veggies. You add the stock. You simmer it till it's thick. I don't care what the veggies are. I'm not, I don't even care what the meat is. And you know what? The stock could be any kind of stock at that point. Simmered thick, it's good. Period. It might beat vanilla, but at the same time, that's a meal I think we could serve to just about just about anybody. A good stew, cooked meat to soft, veggies, stock, thick. Do, does that does that qualify as a good stew? Uh yes, that that would qualify as a good stew to me, especially afternoon like this, you know, 20 degrees or so outside. Yeah, that would that would hit the spot for me. All right. So now, I'm going to kick it over to you. What are your ideas to take that basic vanilla stew and how are you going to make it better? Either with a couple additives, like a couple ingredients or techniques that you would use. Well, I man, I hate to phrase it this way, but I'm I'm a little snobby about uh about where I get my food from sometimes. And and so you mean 50 um, yards behind your house? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The term store-bought is borderline derogatory around here. Like, it's it's a harsh term. Um, so I, I would say that uh, my main thing would be to make sure that all the veggies uh, came from my garden and that the stock was made by me. And I'm a big fan of, you know, I can't – I've been following – well, I've been eating my mother's cooking now for obviously a very long time. And whenever I go home, um, she asks what I want. And usually, well, not anymore. Now she asks what my wife and son want. But at one point, she was interested in what I wanted for dinner when I would go home. <laughs> um, and often it would be stew. And I, for the life of me, I can't get mine to taste as good as hers. But I, I'm still working on it. Um, but usually it's it's venison. And then... I think her secret, and I've been trying to, she's, she's a little, she's holding on to this one. Um, but I, I don't know what kind of, or her timing of when she puts stuff in seems to make a big difference. And she has a recipe, but she'll flat out say that she doesn't follow it. She just knows where to go from it, which is kind of defeats the purpose of a recipe. But, but yeah, so I would say that my thing, I kind of got away from it there, but um, venison and then homemade veggies and homemade stock. And I prefer when I do my stew, um, I use my homemade pork stock, even though I'm using venison as my as my meat in there. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, holy smokes. I think you skipped it. I think you went to the best stew. But at the same time, I think you're you hit the nail on the head here that you know you're using meat that you acquired. You're using veggies that you grew yourself, and you're using uh, stock and additives that you yourself have made. So yeah, I think that covers all the ideas right there when it comes to making any stew better. I mean, sweat equity, while while it doesn't necessarily have a palate, I think you're right. There's something that goes into thump, something that you've put hard work into that makes anything taste way better. 
Well, like like with firewood, you know, if you if you've ever cut firewood for a wood stove, by the time you put it in the wood stove, you know that piece of wood like you can almost might as well name it because you've cut it down, you've split it, you've stacked it, you've moved it at least once. So by the time it goes in the wood stove, it's your buddy. And I kind of feel that way about um, some of my stuff. Like I've got a, a bin full of potatoes in my pantry right now. You know, those were potatoes that I quartered, let let uh, root a little bit. I dug a trench, I put them in the ground, I mulched and weeded them all summer. Then come October, I dug them up, cured them, and put them in my pantry. Like those, I know every, I can tell you the name of every potato in that in that giant bin right now. Got <laughs> friends. Uh, it's always good to have a bunch of spuds around, you know. They're your spuddies. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> few ideas that I, I had as far as getting that stew to be a little better, and I think you were kind of hitting it too. Um, that you know you're putting your 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 venison in there, rather than just crowding the pan or just like, all right, I got to put all this in there. So you've cut all these uh, chunks of meat, and then you you throw them into your pan, and you're just gonna cook them. Uh, I like to take it a step further and actually just brown the meat in batches and so kind of what your mother is probably doing there's an order to what she does now i'm probably not doing her order but what i'll do is take those pieces and actually put them in the pan spread them out a little bit and really get a good color like not to say that i'm burning it but like we're going past we're going past tan on this i I can smell what you're describing right now (laughs) So we'll take it past tan on as many edges as we can. I know there's going to be like some odd like edge that you're not going to be able to get, but like take it to that point. Once you've done that, do the same thing with with some of your veggies too. In that timing that you you want to be able to brown those up because man, I mean a carrot is good, but if you can really add color to a carrot as well, or even celery. Like celery comes out as one of those things that's tasteless, but once you add some color to it, like it comes alive, you start to get like, whoa, it's a it's an herb. This is something that has some body to it. And so adding definitely. color to those. Sure, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So now I've got everything browned up. I'm gonna leave the veggies out. Deglaze the pot. And I think that's one thing too that uh we we get ahead of ourselves and we forget about that golden delicious that we've left at the bottom of whatever pan or whatever we we're using. Um, I, I don't necessarily use the beer that I'm holding in my hand right now. I found a uh, founder's CBS in the back of the refrigerator from last year. So I actually have a year on this beer, <laughs> but I would use a super dark Porter or a stout and pour that in. And then use my, uh, you know, my my wooden spoon, and then scrape the bottom to get all that bond off the bottom. And at that point, you know, the the alcohol is going to evaporate quickly, and I'm just going to be left with not only the stout flavor, but at the same time, I'm brought up all of that delicious brown that was on the bottom of that pot. And at that point, it then becomes the layer game where you add in your you add in your stock. And then you add in your meat, and you're just going to let that go low and slow. And then like that last hour and a half, then you dump in the veggies because you want them soft, but you don't want them to all dissolve away. That's, I guess, essentially that's 
it's the order of things and how you care for each of the elements, I think, is what takes your stew from good to better. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's the the philosophy of just throw all the basic ingredients in the crock pot, but it just it just doesn't. I mean, it, it's it's food. It's all right. But it, what you're describing for sure, especially deglazing, um, and and I've switched to, um, I, I might be a little paranoid, but I don't really like uh, uh, nonstick pans at all anymore. So I use either cast iron or I, I actually really like steel pans. Um, they're they're better to clean sometimes, but uh, for what you're describing, they're right on the money, and you get all the flavor. Um, yeah, and and you know, add your potatoes a little bit later, and then add your your other veggies on down the road a little bit. Uh, for sure, you are you are right on track with a stew that I would love to eat right there. <laughs> good deal, good deal. And that was just to the better, because now here we go. We're going to the best stew, and this is where we're going to be making some specific choices. You know, we're not just taking what. The or, you know now it's not just order now we want to really have our dang good uh, ingredients that are going into this. Um, I like connective tissue in my meat, oh, yeah. uh, not silver skin. We got to make the distinction that I want the connective tissue. I want the uh, very light, translucent um, film that's holding these pieces, this muscles together. You know, you find these in your shoulders, you find them in thighs, um, you know, in, in your hindquarters, those are the, the, the pieces that are holding all those muscles together. Like those are going to be the, the best parts to be getting, uh, put into this stew, not for the first reaction of being able to brown it, but at the same time, what it's going to be offering is this, this velvety, like touch if you take a shank and you uh simmer that down and you you cook that up and we've talked about that before when you open up that pot and it just it's just ribbons of absolute delicious and the the broth or the uh um, stock that's come off of it it just has like this like silkiness to it and be able to incorporate that into your stew i think is one of those things so as you're being choosy with the cut of meat like pick the stuff that you're not going to make steak out of. Pick the stuff that needs to be stewed. I mean, heck, it's called a stew. Let's take the stuff that's going to take the extra time uh, to cook. Uh, as as Hank Shaw, the Godfather, says, you know, you can make a rock soft. It just takes time and heat. So you know, you're going to be able to break down those those tougher muscles. Yeah, I think so. My favorite. Well, I, I don't want to say favorite cut, but one that I have done this way now for multiple years and without fail is I don't bone out a shoulder blade. I do a bone in shoulder blade on, I mean, I do it on pigs, but I, I definitely do it on all my white tails and I did a roast with it just a couple of weeks ago, but I'll do it um, with a stew too. It, it would definitely, it would cause me to have to, pull it out and chop it back in. But I think it would be worth it because I absolutely love doing, I would still brown it, still deglaze everything you're describing. Cause that's what I do when I do it as a roast, but I keep it whole bone in. I would cook it 
um, low and slow. And I, it depends on, I mean, I'll, I'll do it in a roasting pan in the oven, even my stews quite a bit or in a, in a Dutch oven in there. Um, then pull it out. And I just like reaching in with tongs, grabbing that bone and just giving it a little yank. And then all the meat slides right off into the pot. <laughs> and even if I had to pull that meat out um, as I was finished and chop it a little bit and, and add it back in, I, the bone in shoulder blade for me, and there's just, there's some about pulling that bone out and it's so clean. You're like, I did this. I did this perfectly. Everything here looks just right. Um, and, and the meat itself on the shoulder blade is so underrated to me. It, it vexes me pretty badly when I see guys who have, uh, you know, processed their own deer and they don't even take the front shoulders off. They just kind of bone out around it. It is just, I mean, in Michigan needs a want and waste law. And I need to be able to enforce it, but they, <laughs> you get the ticket uh, book. <laughs> oh, I get, I get salty about that. Um, it, it, well, what it tells me is if they're doing things like that, they can't cook worth a darn anyway. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably the way I would go. I would also add, uh, definitely some of my garlic on toward the end, um, a little bit roasted and, and just to soften it up. And then we grow, we have a pretty extensive herb garden out here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big bay leaf guy, uh, big rosemary guy though. I would probably add, add some rosemary. Um, but the, I'll tell you my, my best, my best advice for stew, the game changer for stew is to make your stew, be super happy with it, smell it, taste it, look how good it looks put it in the refrigerator and eat it the next day. Sue is 100% better on day two moving forward. Well, I don't know how far it go because it's never made it far enough to be a problem, but um, <laughs> leftover stew is better than day one stew. You can put that on my tombstone. I, that's, that's definitely one of my, one of my firmest uh, food opinions. I love it. I love it. Not only with the, the shoulder blade, I feel like it's, you know, when you guys go to the gym, if they don't take a selfie, like, did the workout ever happen? And then I feel like if you roast up a shoulder and like, hey, you didn't film yourself pulling the bone out, like, did it? Did it really happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I actually had my brother-in-law film me on the last one. He gave me all kinds of grief about it. But I'm like, oh, man, the, people have to know that I cooked this perfectly so I can pull this bone out. Yeah, I know it's it's so vain and petty, but I still will do it. I but, I could watch I could watch people pulling out shoulder blades all day, compared to what else is out there on social media that people watch. No, give me a montage of guys perfectly cooking a shoulder and pulling out the shoulder blade to show me. That's that's what I want to watch. Wholesome activity. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said garlic as something like a veggie. That stuff, and you're just putting in the whole. Uh, clove at that point you're not even chop you're not chopping up that clove as in the individual one but you're uh, it, it, it you, uh, you're breaking it up uh it depends on so i'll what i'll usually do is i'll break some up and skin them but leave them leave each like toe hole a hole and it's almost like a little treat as it as it, it gets soft and it, it's a you know it's a shot of garlic but it, there's something when it kind of seeps into everything else where it's fairly pleasant. But then I'll usually take a whole clove 
slice it in half and throw it kind of in the in the broiler a little bit and just roast it and let that kind of soak in and then pull it out a little bit but it depends on the 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 volume and i guess the viscosity of the liquid i'm putting it in on how much will dissipate because you don't want to just get knocked over the head with garlic so it kind of depends on who i'm cooking for what i'm cooking in you know i do some of my stews and roast as a tomato base and that probably lends itself to a little bit heavier garlic um, than if I'm doing something like a, a cream base, which I, I like that, which do quite a lot. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's, that would be kind of my, my modifier. It would just depend on what the base is that I'm putting in. Gotcha. Gotcha. The veggie, the different veggie that I found as like a treat would be and you got to put it only in for like 20 minutes like you're just about ready to uh get this thing served up um but that last like 25 to 20 minutes like chop up parsnip you talk about a little treat like a the garlic that's in there but the the whole the you know this homely looking parsnip offers just a blast of sweetness that I mean I know a carrot like a carrot can be sweet when it's been browned up and and then slow cooked but man 20 minutes of just that parsnip sitting in uh the last stew that I made you talk about like I'm searching through like normally I'm not a picker I just kind of like eat the whole thing but Man, I'd go through the kids' bowls and I'd pick out the parsnip because I know I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, you ain't, you don't deserve this yet. You don't get this little treat. That that right there is an awesome little spot. That that's some strong old timey advice. I like that parsnips. So I I do grow parsnips and and I grow rutabaga and they're both like basically uh, like forgotten vegetables just cause, just because they're ugly on the outside. That that's no reason to just dismiss them. They're delicious and they're super. The other thing is they're both really pretty easy to grow. I mean, parsnips require, you know, similar soil to carrots. You know, you want kind of a a high hummus um, organic material, but they're very low maintenance once they've started. And, and rutabaga, they, they are very, very low maintenance. They'll just be like, yeah. Oh, is this gravel? Yeah. I can grow in that. No problem. (laughs) I feel like I found my spirit vegetable. Like (laughs) I, I find solace with the parsnip and the rutabaga. I'm easy to take care of. I'm I'm sitting literally in my basement right now, uh, talking to somebody over the internet and having the best time that I could ever have. And at the same time, like, yeah, I'm not the prettiest thing to look at, but it's what's <laughs> on the inside. <laughs> yeah. You're easy to grow. You're sweet. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, they're they're very I, I'm a big fan. I mean, um if you're doing um, they're, they're great soups too. And they hold up well. They're, they're soft enough to eat where you're not like crunching, but they, they don't turn into just mush when you put them in the fridge as a leftover, you know, cause that's one of the problems with carrots sometimes. Like I'll do, um, I'll make a soup and I'll put carrots in it and you know, they're, they're great that day. They're great the next day, but by about day four, as soon as you like go to spoon them up, they almost melt away. And uh, parsnips and rutabaga hold up a little bit better if you're going to have, I mean, well, I haven't perfected making soup volume under five gallons yet. So my, my soups tend to be uh, many day leftovers or even going in the freezer. 
Yeah, that's good to know that they've got good longevity. So if you do get one at the beginning of the week, it's not one of those like, I got to hurry up and make something with it because it's going to go bad or it's just going to be not desirable. But they'll they'll be sturdy enough to be to be in the fridge. But yeah, like once you hit the once they get into the pot, um, I had one where I, I tried the parsnip and I put them in at the same time that I did the carrots and the potatoes. And they did. They just fell. They they just. I mean, they absorbed so much of the the stock and the juice, and then they just kind of fell apart. You know, there was this sweetness to it. I mean, they weren't completely gone, but it was definitely one of those like, ah, we need to revisit again. This this goes in later. So I found at like the twenty minute mark until finished, that was a great time to stick those in because I think they they probably do well in the fridge in the cool, but as soon as they hit the heat, as soon as they hit that moisture. They, they start to suck, soak stuff up, yeah. They're so good, though. No, that's my that's that's a go to when we start doing doing that. That's my like when people start eating, they're like, "What? Wait, what was the little white thing in there?" And yeah, parsnip. Well, hey, I think we just we developed the best absolute scenario for your stew. We're using meat with connective tissue, and if you can have it off the shoulder and keep the bone in. That's one way to go with it. We gave you a couple of vegetables that, you know, they you know they're out there, but maybe you haven't used them in a while. That offers just a great flavor profile. And then for you, you said you liked your pork stock, but I think like any stock that you're making, if you are making, you know, Thanksgiving dinner just after you've carved the turkey, you're throwing the whole turkey carcass into a pot and let it go to boil. Hey, that's better than anything you're going to find at the store. If you're with your venison, taking your bones, either freezing them or as you're cutting them up, starting to boil that up, boil them in with uh, with some veggies, you're gonna again, you're gonna have something that beef stock from a box isn't gonna be able to touch. Like you're getting yourself something into a whole new territory when it comes to something that you're making yourself. Yeah, definitely. I I go um, well. I've actually got turkey stock on my. Michigan refrigerator right now, which is my porch. Um, I we did. I had to work on Thanksgiving, but the week after, um, la- last weekend, we uh, roasted a, a turkey here, and I took the the carcass, what was left, and and simmered it down to a stock, and then I, you know, filter it and go through, and I'll I'll be canning it this week. Um, even as I go uh, through the year with well with with chicken, um, if I do you know, whatever mode I, if I bone it out or whatever, I throw any remaining carcass into a little, a little tub in the freezer. And once that's full, I'll do like a, uh, just a chick, a basic chicken stock or with my small game. Um, like tonight we had squirrel stir fry. Um, so I boned out a couple of squirrels and I'll throw those carcasses in the freezer and when, and just in like a Ziploc gallon size bag. And when that's full, I'll make a batch of squirrel stock or every now and again, I'll just do a miscellaneous stock of, uh, whatever, whatever bones and carcasses have, have to be in the freezer. Yeah. That's, I guess my thinking of it is there's, there's light stock and there's dark stock. And from that, it kind of just opens up the many different directions and that, if you're creating, even if you're adding to a stock, 
you know, you're you're eventually like you know compounding different things in there. But like you know, when you get your dark stocks, you're looking at you're looking at beef, you're looking at lamb on the domestic side. Uh, but then at the same time, like that's your venison, and it's all a darker stock that you're making. Versus on the flip side, when you're making uh, a light stock, like that's your poultry, that's your upland birds, that's your small game rabbits and and squirrels produce a a light stock. It's it's much brighter, reminiscent of of poultry, and it's just funny how those two categories kind of go back and forth on on what you're trying to make. Um, I haven't done much with pork stock. Does that find itself into a third category? Is there just like this off pork, uh, pork stock, or is it fall into the darker light? It, it falls into the dark. I, I would say um, it's it's a little tougher for me because it takes um, just the the way pork fat is um, just it's it's nature makes it a little bit tougher to to really filter everything out and get a nice clear stock. Um, but I I really like pork stock. Um, and I do a, a, just a vegetable stock too, usually late summer or this time of year. If I, if my carrots are, uh, in the root cellar are starting to look a little, a little rough, um, I'll take whatever left of the prime one still and, and make some, some basic vegetable stock But the pork stock we do. Um, I find when I do like, um, any, uh, basically any Asian dishes or, yeah, that's probably my go-to um, is pork stock for a lot of uh, a lot of stir fry. Um, if I do any Chinese or, or Japanese style cooking, for whatever reason, the pork stock just seems to work with a lot of those recipes as kind of a as kind of a base. Even if I'm doing mostly vegetables, um, I, I like to use a pork stock for sure. It just adds so much. I mean, it adds some it adds some fat, of course, but it adds a lot of depth. It, it can make a stir fry that took me, you know, 25 minutes to make taste like I've been cooking it, you know, like at a super slow pace for a day and a half. It's just it's crazy the depth that it adds. I've been toying around. The boys like ramen now, so we've been having ramen in the house, and mm-hmm. I made a a ramen bowl the other day with venison, and it just you know, like took it to another level. The last time that I had ramen, other than the last last time that I made it here in the house now for the boys, was back in college. And, yeah. man, we were throwing we, – I mean, we were just using the, the MSG packets that were in there. We would take jerky because that was, like, the only meat source that we had at that point was, like, just jerky. And then there was no vegetables to speak of. And so you would just mix that together and have it as is. And so, like, I look at what I've got now as far as a ramen and what I made the other night. It had more – I didn't add the MSG packet to it. I didn't add, like, the super sodium that was in there. But now I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, man, we could just forget the water uh, boiling and get some of this pork uh, stock boiling in there, do the ramen in that. And I think, man, we got another level going on here. Like just like oh, you were I, saying, yeah. There's a there's a depth to it, um, and in in my wife's family, they have this particular hot spicy noodle dish that's like kind of a, a family tradition. Uh, it's got it's got a backstory to it, but um, some family friend taught them how to cook, and it's but it's just definitely like a staple. And you know, since since I've been in the family, uh, they've they've upgraded to it, they used to do ground pork for it but now they do ground venison 
um, but they they like my pork stock and and the noodles are cooked in the pork stock and just the yeah the depth it just it's hard to explain unless you are tasting it you know because you're like oh how can how can noodles have depth but there's something about cooking them in stock and yeah ramen gets a bad rap because of you know six for a dollar I don't even know what it is now that was what it's it like was thirty cents I, yeah <laughs> thirty cents that's double that's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it gets a bad rap. I mean, it's, it's a great dish. It's just that they, you know, what you get at the store is super low end, but it can be, it can be significantly upgraded and, and classed up a little bit with some high end ingredients, like some homemade stock, maybe some, uh, throw some sauteed veggies on there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's narrow in real quick. We've talked, we've gone a, on a bunch of different tangents here, just with the, the light, the dark, the pork. Um, jumping into just a dish that you know, why is stock important? We can definitely elevate um, noodles or, or other dishes that we're making. Um, I got an empty pot. I got a carcass. And what kind of veggies? What kind of mirepoix do I want to put into when I'm just making a, a basic stock? So when you're, I'm sure as a gardener, any leaf waste, any vegetable waste you're automatically wiping away the word waste and you're going to throw that into something that you can use are you you're throwing anything and everything into that pot or is there a few things that you're like these have to be in there in order to get the flavor that you're looking for well there there um so i'll simmer my meat bones whatever I'm, i'm doing uh low and slow i will usually go minimum 12 hours um, of just my meat. And I've gone, I've gone, you know, pushing 24 in like, so if I'm doing a, I've got a giant stock pot, if I'm doing a whole bunch in there, but I, I would say kind of my standard practice is about 12. Um, which is, which is interesting waking up in the morning, having the house smell like I want to eat a giant roast. Uh, <laughs> the whole house is just steamed up with that. Um, and at that point, then I'll add in my veggies. I go basically just meat and maybe a, some herbs, maybe some rosemary, but I usually go pretty light on that stuff. Um, I'll, I'll just do basically just meat for 12 hours. And then, uh, and my hot tip is I, a lot of people add onion. I do not add onion. I add a small amount of garlic. And the purpose for that is actually for the sake of my dogs, because I give my dogs a fair amount of, well, I, I'm sorry. I only have one dog now. I, I had three dogs and two past this summer, but so my, my one dog now and uh, soon to be future dogs, hopefully. Um, Al, well, onion in particular can be, um, can cause anemia in, in dogs with not a ton of volume. And, so I don't add onion to my stock because I know I'm going to give some to my dogs and garlic doesn't cause that issue. So that's oh. kind of my, my hot tip there is that I use small garlic rather than, than big onion. And then I'll put in um, usually a small packet of herbs. Again, not a huge bay leaf guy, but I might put in one or two. Um, and then, you know, some rosemary and definitely some thyme. I stay away from a lot of the, the leafy vegetables because it's in, in my experience, I'll do Swiss chard sometimes if it's young. Um, and I, I like that that adds something, but a lot of the other leafy vegetables seem to only add bitterness in my experience. So I, I will definitely do carrots. Um, I have done, you know, like parsnips 
rutabaga, things like that, some kind of sweeter root vegetables. I've always wanted to try beets, but I've never done it. I think I just want to try it. I yeah. know it'll turn everything pink. Maybe it'll taste weird, but I love beets, and I just wonder. But I haven't I haven't had the bravery to see the waste three gallons of stock if it doesn't work out. Right. Um, but yeah, that that's basically my go-to. I keep it fairly simple. Can I um, add your challenge to that? Like the fact that I'm already kind of like looking at at pork stock is like it's the outlier. It's one of those like it, it it's the wild card. What if you add the beet to the pork stock and that just make that the ultimate like what's up stock right there? Like I could see you're, that. Now you're getting radical. <laughs> now you're getting I know. Radical. I I'm going off the chart here, but I'm thinking like beets and pork. I'm thinking that's got to be the match. It's got to be the matchup right there. I, I'm sure somebody's tried it. I, I'm not, you know, I haven't ever looked it up. It's one of those things like I'm sure someone's tried it, and maybe it was the best thing ever, or maybe it was an utter disaster. But I really love beets, and so I've always wanted to try them. But I just know it'll be like a weird purple <laughs> jar. <laughs> um, so I have, I haven't messed with it. Uh, and I grow multiple kinds of carrots, and I have noticed um, a little bit different flavor with with some of them. I mean, and and the way you grow carrots, I mean, carrots aren't just carrots. There are big differences in in sweetness um, across you know different carrot varieties, and then different ways you grow them, or how how much you care for them, and and what your soil is. So that that I've messed with a little bit, trying to figure out how much I want to add. Because I don't actually like a lot of sweetness. I, I like that earthy carrot flavor. Uh, but, yeah, I keep it fairly straightforward, other than I probably cook my stock longer than most. I A lot of people I see are um, four hours, maybe eight hours, which I'm sure is totally fine. I just usually start it in the evening and then wrap it up the next morning, um, you know, 12 hours or so. And that's that's just worked out pretty well for me. I don't keep my veggies in there too long. Um, maybe a couple of hours at most, really. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I find yeah, myself right around the eight-hour mark just because I said I find myself around the eight-hour mark because once I finally get myself prepped and ready to go, like I start in the morning and then there's a, like right around dinner time where it's like now we want to start moving things around, we need to clean things up. And, yeah, I don't know how long the missus is just going to let some pot sit there and – tick over so she was you know it's always one of those the games that i'm playing like how long can i push this and eight hours seems to be as long as i can push top or you know <laughs> patience and but yeah it it ends up turning out really well i never thought about doing the overnight at the same time walking away from a stove has never been one of those things where i ever wanted to do but i'm sure i'm sure there's a safe way to do it well I, yeah we have i mean we have a gas stove and it's i mean it I'm not too worried about it, to be honest with you. It's not like when you're cooking, you're sitting there watching it during the day either. Um, but when you are, – are you a guy that when your alarm goes off, you launch out of bed in the morning? I am not. I, I do get up, but it's definitely – there's a heavy sigh, and then there's like a – maybe it's an old man thing, but I have to like rock. Like I have to do the one, two, <laughs> three. <laughs> well, when you – grunt. I'm getting, I'm getting there with that. Well, when, when you wake up in the morning and you, you know, it's weird to say open your nose, but you will like you open your eyes and you open your nose and you smell this stock simmering. You're, there's just, 
you know in the cartoons where you just float in on a scent with your your toes twinkling in the air you'll be like that going <laughs> going down to the kitchen to check on everything it just smells so darn good and part, part of it is too um no one wants to lie around when you're hungry and so when you smell that you're immediately like i need food right now and yeah. i am out of the bed and on my way <laughs> I like that. So, yeah, that's for our uh, folks that can't seem to get out of bed. That's the hot tip right there on how to get out of bed. Start, start some Go stock alarm clock. <laughs> um, change that I did this year, and I got this off of uh, his handle is at way of the hunt. Um, he, had, he was t- talking, and he said, hey, have you done trotters? And we were, we were talking venison at this point, and I was like, you know what? No, I haven't tried going uh, trotter or hoof of the of venison, or at least like that lower forearm that always, you know, you cut it right there at the knee, and you end up, I got a buddy who's got a dog, uh, a tracking dog, so ultimately the four hooves just go off to him uh, yeah. so that he can train his pup. But I kept two back and uh, skinned them out, and actually, they skinned out much easier than I thought they were going to. Uh, I did get a little, uh, I don't know, I, I, I got nervous, and so I cut at the joint just above the actual hoof. So I didn't put the actual hoof in a pot. I cut that off. I know, weak sauce. What am I doing? But anyway. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. <laughs> but I did do that lower forearm of, of venison. And there's there wasn't a lot there's not a lot of meat on there, but there's a whole lot of connective tissue, and so I I ended up dropping those into the pot on my last batch, and uh, let that go my normal eight hours. I I ended up straining it out, and then let it cool in that that same pot. I you know once I transferred pots over, strained it out. I let that sit in my Michigan. Uh, my Michigan refrigerator, as you call it, yeah, the back porch, and I came out the next day so that I could then portion it out, and I grabbed it and I just moved it a little bit, and the whole thing, just with the amount of gelatin that's yeah. in that, it just does this wild jiggle, and I was like, no way, like this is like demi demi glaze to the finest. And I am so excited to get a chance to use this either in a sauce, either in a soup. I think it's going to be absolutely incredible. But That's those very were... interesting. I, you know, I've never even considered that, honestly. I just wasn't even on my radar. You know, you just pop those off as you're, as you're skinning out. And, I, yeah, there's tons of connective tissue. I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. I've just never even just flown right by that. Never even thought about it. Yeah, I tell you, there's your if you're if you're looking for gelatin, if you're looking for glossiness, if you're looking for velvety texture, pop off a couple of those and throw them in. So yeah, I ended up portioning those out, and uh, I actually vac sealed them inside. Uh, I got I got one of those chamber vacs, um, and I really enjoy this the chamber vac. I've used them in the professional realm, or at least over in the the meat industry side over at the turkey farm, um, and to finally get one in my my home unit that I can actually use one. It was really easy to do. You just got to make sure that that edge is lifted up and that you hit uh seal with only a little bit of, of air suck. Cause the first one I did, I ended up 
actually <laughs> the suction as the atmospheric came back it pushed all the the stock out into the paint or out into the the vac machine so then i had to go ahead and pause everything clean that all up and then start again but yeah making sure that your edge is up and that you hit the uh hit the seal button quicker than what you think you should you know as soon as you think you should do it you should have done it just a little bit earlier yeah i've never messed with a chamber back i definitely that's on my wish list it was it was that or the air rifle this year so i went with the air rifle but uh chamber vac uh soon in my future i i do with all pretty much all my stock gets canned um just and there's no like uh food quality reason for that it's just that uh freezer space is at a premium and shelf space well i've added i've added some shelf space and that that has worked out okay um if I, I've been told if I add another freezer, that will be my home. So <laughs> I, I will not be bringing any more freezers home. I have been offered two freezers this year for free for just the cost of getting them out of somebody's basement. Cause I'm a big guy with a truck. So, you know, I get called for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, had to, I said, I can help you get out of your basement, but I cannot take it with. Me. And it is just a no go. It will. I know where the line is. My wife is a wonderful, patient, patient woman. But eventually, she will clunk me on the head and throw me in a freezer if I bring too many home. Jonah, I got I got one spot for one freezer. If you need to store <laughs> a freezer at my place, you can you can do that, and you can put all your items, put I, I all your veggies you. in it. I'm just saying the rent is I'm gonna have to glean a little off the top. That that's what you that's can what have everything out be. of it you want. You can have everything. I don't care. I just hate. Yeah, I just want to keep hunting and, and stuff, and I need <laughs> I need freezer space. <laughs> well, and honestly, part of it too is that um, so we raise meat rabbits, and I have kind of kicked up production with that a little bit. And those little rascals can fill a freezer in a hurry. You know, rabbits love making more rabbits, and it doesn't take very long to fill a freezer with them. So that that's been that's been uh, it's dipped into my free freezer. Uh, freezer budget that the rabbits have so i can't i can't put as many deer in there as i'd like to sometimes gotcha gotcha well hey i say let's uh let's wrap up with with the rabbits you know we're, we're getting with small game um what's your favorite go-to rabbit dish what do you like to do with your rabbits either the meat or the or the meat rabbits or the wild rabbits your preference so um my my mother's favorite meal is uh, wild rabbit. So pretty much any, um, well, I have a couple, like, uh, so it's a slight sidebar. My grandmother uh, requests as many squirrel front, uh, front shoulders, front legs as I can give her. I actually um, mailed some to Florida last year when they were in Florida, uh, which is I, I'm not sure if I, I can mail. Well, I did. I mailed squirrel across the country. I'm sure it was, it stayed frozen. I'm sure it was legal. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and my mom likes wild rabbits. She won't eat domestic, but she likes wild. So I give her most of my wild rabbits. But um, back to my favorite recipe, I actually, I probably keep it pretty simple. Um, I did a Hank's jaw recipe last week or the week before a, uh, Spanish peppered rabbit that was fantastic. But if I'm just doing my dinner that I'm always going to be happy with, I'll take a uh, rabbit, I'll quarter it up, 
and I'll do front quarters, back quarters, and then I'll cut the saddle away, and then I'll flay the rib meat back a little bit and use game shears to cut the ribs about halfway up just to make it cook easier. And then I put it in a, a glass baking dish with usually a little bit of dark beer, and I'll season it slightly and cover it and do about 275 for a couple of hours until it's, um, you know, just enough liquid to basically you're, you're kind of braising it, steaming it almost. Um, but, uh, 275 for a couple hours until it's not falling apart, but you could take a bite and get a clean bite. And so it's kind of a feel thing. Yeah. And domestic rabbits have a lot of fat too. So that kind of soaks in through there. Then I, I pull them out and I will, um, dry batter them just toss them in some drakes mixed with cornmeal and i gotta tell you um i'll pan fry it plenty of times and sometimes i'll even brown it first before i put it in the glass baking dish um but i have gotten this is uh i never thought i would say i used air fryer but um, <laughs> that damn air fryer makes it so good i will i'll do that dry batter i'll spray a mist of peanut oil on them and I'll do like 400 and it just takes a couple minutes. You're just basically putting, they're cooked already. You're just putting like a crust on them and it's yeah. so dang good. Uh, the only downfall is no gravy. If I do the, I'll do like a brown and then uh, in a cast iron, I'll, I'll brown them and then cook them down with some liquid and then you can, you can make a gravy. But that air fryer, if, you know, again, if I've got, uh, if I'm carrying a kid while I'm cooking, I can do it with that. And it's yes. good. Good. I mean, what I'm using is my mini convection oven, not an air fryer. Exactly. Not much for an air fryer, just a mini convection oven. Yeah. As long as we're but being honest, Jonah. So my wife came home the other day after doing some Christmas shopping, and she came into the house, and she smiled at me, and she goes, hey, thanks for my early Christmas gift. And I go, you're welcome, your early <laughs> Christmas gift. And she brought in one of the big air fryers. It's the two, like it's got the two drawers on it. I was just like, we now have an air fryer. So I'm not sure how many crows I need to now cook because I feel like I've downed upon the air fryer, but I'm now the, yeah, I'm now the owner of one of these air fryers. But to know that if I smoke a couple rabbits, I call up Jonah and Jonah's going to walk me through how to do rabbit in an air fryer. I have been. All right. So two things I've learned in the last year, I've been super, I've looked down my nose on Crocs and air fryers and I was a hundred percent wrong on both. They're fantastic. (laughs) And so the, I, I, we raise, you know, a few pigs a year. And so I love pork chops and I've cooked pork chops a hundred different ways. There is no better way than in that damned air fryer. I soak them in milk for like a, eh, 20 minutes or so, do a real, basically the same dry batter, but maybe a little more cornmeal than drake. And uh, I'll do 16 minutes, eight minutes aside, and I'll mix them with peanut oil, and they come out of there, and they're so juicy. They're perfectly done. They're absolute gourmet pork chops on a dang air fryer. And, you know, I, I'll post a picture on Instagram with those pork chops. I don't know if... I don't know if I've ever publicly admitted to cooking them in, a, in an air fryer, but they look good. They're taste great. Uh, yeah, they're. I, I'm not a real trendy guy on on kitchen novelties, but that thing is is worth it. 
Well, good, good, Jonah. I'm I'm glad you're owning up to yourself, and I'm glad that you've made great progress with, uh, oh, with yeah. having this tool. <laughs> this tool. I feel like this is a good counseling session. I'll uh, I'll invoice yeah. you after this. <laughs> Deal. Deal. You're worth it. Well, Jonah, where can where can my listeners find you? I know you. This is your second episode on here, but uh, where can folks find more about you, either online or or where where can we find you? Um. I guess, uh, yeah, Instagram, um, at Mighty Musquatch. I, I do quite a bit of content on there all over the place. You know, it depends on, depends on the season. Um, it'll, it'll be hunting, you know, right now, pretty soon there'll be a lot of ice fishing. There's always cooking. Uh, and then we'll go into starting the garden and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, on there, um, I'm writing for, uh, hunt to eat magazine. And, and I do some, some content for them online too, on occasion. Uh, so that, that would be, I do, yeah, some homesteading content basically for them and, and for the, for the magazine. So that's, that's where you'd find me unless you, uh, you can find me out on the ice here, hopefully in about four weeks, I'll be, I'll be the guy pulling a stack of bluegills through the ice. Good deal. Good deal. I'm going to go find, yeah, the biggest wooliest man that's out on the ice when I'm heading down near Marshall. I'm going to come find you because, uh, yeah, I feel like being on the ice with you and then heading over back to the bar, I think that's going to be a good way to go. That's a great day spent. Oh, we'd have good time. Good time. Well, all right, Jonah, just hold on for just a second. I'm going to let our listeners on out. Well, folks, this has been a great episode. We have taken you through your stew you know maybe your basic stew your vanilla stew it'll work it'll work in a pinch and even myself there's times where if i just cut it all up throw it in the crock pot i know it'll be good but there's sometimes we want to take it to that next level and using a few bit little techniques can bring good to better and then as we're along with it i mean let's just reach for the gold let's go with the best Use that shoulder and that connective tissue and get some something, get some surprises, whether it's whole garlic or even parsnips, like grandpa's favorite vegetable. Like, go ahead and use that. We broke down stocks on, you know, going with meat, what veggies you're going to want to go with, and even, you know, how long you're going to do it and using different parts, parts that you normally wouldn't use. But as you're going through this whole cooking process and you're going through making these stews, and maybe you've added an air fryer to your repertoire. Let's just make sure that the knife you're using stays sharp.